I'm going to talk about uh, the Russia-Ukraine situation now and how Canada fits into it specifically. Uh, an interesting story this week, and you might remember when peace talks started in Turkey, um, Ukraine proposed uh, they would accept neutral status as a concession to try and uh, find a pathway to peace. And part of the discussion was actually that Canada, they proposed Canada fill the role as a potential, like a, a guarantor, a security guarantor of this situation. That was part of the peace talks and part of the proposal they made. Not just Canada. Other countries were also floated as well, but Canada was part of that discussion. It's, uh, it's interesting. So where does Canada fit in? in terms of possible peace or negotiations or all the rest in what's going on in Ukraine right now. Uh, we're going to chat with Andrew Rasoulis, who is a fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute. We've talked to him about this situation before. Andrew, uh, thank you so much for joining us once again today. I appreciate it. And you're very welcome, Shay. So, and interesting news, as you as you just corrected, as you correctly pointed out. Yeah, it is really. I mean, we we should say that uh, by and large, from what we're hearing out of Turkey, once those talks wrapped up after a couple of days, is there were no breakthroughs. Do I have that right? I mean, at least that's what Russia is saying. We made we didn't make any progress. It was it was good to talk, but we didn't come to any sort of agreement. I would uh, I would uh, change that a little bit, nuance it to okay. say I would say limited but notable progress. In the sense, there were two takeaways. One is related to the one you're speaking about, which is the first concession by Ukraine on neutrality, which is the biggest of all the things that are, is about a peace settlement. Because uh, the war was all about you know Ukraine joining NATO and that sort of thing. So by saying they're going neutral, major concession. They they wrap that concession though in a very tricky sort of thing called security guarantees as you point out and as you point out canada was named amongst several states it's the p5 of the un plus israel plus turkey in canada and so what their ukrainian position that yeah they'll accept neutrality since they recognize they're not going to nato but they want a security guarantee for their neutrality mm-hmm. Uh, a kind of like a, an Article 5, if you will, for our neutrality status. That would mean that countries like Canada and these others that were named would be, have to be willing to sign a legal document, therefore legally pledged, to come to the aid of Ukraine if its neutrality was violated. And there's a specific uh, 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 formula in the Ukrainian proposal that should should Ukrainian violation should the Ukrainian neutrality be violated, there would be three days of consultations amongst the guarantor powers, uh, and if it was not resolved, then they would be compelled legally to come to the defense of Ukraine. That that's a big step, and I suspect that what we'll see. I think that's a negotiating position, and I suspect that will be ratcheted back. To something like diplomatic guarantees by the guarantors. So when you're what you're talking about needs, they will be legally obligated to come to the aid of Ukraine. You mean militarily? That's that's the yeah, way that I it's mean, set right, up now. The way it's the way it's set up now. Yes, it would be militarily to come by by treaty by legal obligation to the defense of Ukraine's neutrality should it be violated after three days of consultations. So, I mean, there's not a lot of formulas. Do you need consensus among the guarantors? That's another question, mm-hmm. all right? You know, maybe if they all have, if they all agree, then nothing happens. That's a possibility as well. But these are these are early days. That's why I said this was limited, but it's notable progress. Uh, the other one, of course, being Crimea, um, in which the uh, the Russian position has been remains that Crimea. The Ukrainians have to recognize Crimea as being uh, Russian. Uh, and the Ukrainians actually inter- offered a very interesting alternative formula, saying that 
we let's discuss, let's consult on the status of Crimea for 15 years. And then we'll see. So what they're doing is they're booting it down the field, but they're also saying something very interesting. They're saying de facto, like matter of fact, yes, Russia sits in Ukraine, uh, in Crimea, and, mm-hmm. and it's, it's there. So they, they hold the ownership, right? But, uh, but legally, under international law, de jure, uh, it's still Ukrainian. And so they don't give up that right. Yeah? And they just push it off uh, as an unresolvable uh, for 15 years. And then we'll see what, what the world looks like 15 years from now. And there'll be all different leaders and there'll be a lot of different factors. So maybe it'll be resolved then. It's an interesting approach. It is. We'll see what the Russians do with that one. Um, I want to go back to, uh, okay, so Ukraine says um, we'll have these security guarantors. Now, also part of their proposal and their commitment to neutrality is we won't enter any alliances or treaties. But I mean, for lack of a better word, Andrew, you're talking about an alliance or a treaty, are you not? I mean, are we just splitting hairs here and and just is this wordplay? Because it sounds very similar. You're talking about Article 5, for goodness sake. Yes, but not in the context of an alliance. It's in the context of the guarantors. And the guarantors are not from one alliance, because some of the guarantors are from NATO uh, Israel is not. Uh, uh, China is not. And they're part of the P5. Right. And, so, and Russia as well would be one of the guarantors. So the, the, the whole idea there is that, yeah, there would be this legally binding commitment to defense, but it's not a block. It is a, a unit in of its own right amongst the guarantors. The, the non-block status, what this is about, is similar to what was in the European to which specifically said that Ukraine would not belong to any military bloc, be it NATO, for example, yep. or the Russian one, the CSTO, uh, which have uh, with you know Kazakhstan. So, okay, Sarah, we're, we're we're losing Andrew. I don't know if you guys can try and and try and get that worked out. I, I got a couple more questions I would like to ask him, but yeah, um, interesting in terms of. You know, I guess it's it's all very high level diplomacy and negotiation and and all the rest in terms of you know what the situation is. Okay, we're gonna try Andrew again. Sarah says she's got to fix. Hi, Andrew. Sorry, you, we just lost you for a second there, but it sounds like it's better now. Okay, great. What, what, where did I leave off? You left off basically saying it's 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 not an alliance. It's it's not being part of NATO. It's and that's an important yeah. distinction. All right, we're going to try again here with Andrew Rasoulis, who is a fellow at Canadian Global Affairs Institute. Uh, Andrew, I think we've got the we've got the phone line worked out now. I hope. I think I've moved to a better location <laughs> in the house. I apologize deeply for that. Quite all right, quite all right. It happens. It's technology. Um, so we were discussing it, and, and the question I had is um, the difference between the treaty or the alliance that Ukraine says they will agree to not enter as part of their neutrality pact with Russia versus we're going to have these security guarantors that will come in and aid us militarily should our neutrality be threatened. What's the difference? Because it doesn't seem like there is one. Because the one suggests it's an alliance like NATO, but this is actually a grouping of individual countries. They're only... A uh, common element is that they are guarantors to a treaty that uh, that guarantees uh, Ukraine's neutrality. So they, these countries are, are not a bloc. They are simply a legal binding group of, of states that agree to protect Ukrainian sovereignty. 
Gotcha. And that's it. So they, there, there's nothing more. There's no political element to this. There's no economic element to it. It's a purely, well, that could be a diplomatic one, of course. Right. Uh, there, but it's, it's, that's what it is. So, so basically, and this is historical. This has been done in, in, in before World War I. Britain was a guarantor of Belgian neutrality, and one of the reasons why Britain goes to war, besides the alliance with France, is Germany violates Belgian neutrality to attack France. So that, uh, Britain was legally bound to come to the aid of Belgium. So that, that's the kind of, so there's an historical precedence for this. Okay. Now, in terms of Canada's position in this, being one of these guarantors and, uh, you know, being mentioned in these kinds of negotiations, how does it fit with Canada? Is it something that we would see as a possibility, as appealing, or would there be a problem for our country to get involved in this way? And, and the other thing is, speaking militarily, our own government has said we're not much of a player militarily, so how much of a guarantor could we be? Yes, exactly. I think, I think, well, I think the Ukrainians understand that. But what the Ukrainians want from Canada is not so much its military weight. They want its diplomatic weight and the, the fact that they believe that in a system of guarantors, Canada would be a very reliable country that would look after Ukraine's interests because they trust Canada. And that's the reason why I think we're included, not because we're a military heavyweight. We would be playing a very, very small role, if any, at the military dimension. We would be certainly playing a very important, potentially diplomatic role. And that's where I think things will evolve as this as this becomes negotiated further, of course. And, you know, Zelensky phoned Trudeau before this announcement was made. So Canada, I don't believe, was blindsided by this. Uh, they were warned about, or hit, got a heads up. And, and the fact that Zelensky made it means that Trudeau didn't tell him not to make it. Right. So I suspect, I suspect that Canada is quietly seeing where this goes. And that's the final question, Andrew. Where does this go? Because it sounds like uh, the West is throwing cold water all over the concessions that Russia said they were making in terms of military, pulling back in some areas, uh, and, you know, Russia saying, you know, there was no breakthroughs made. So where are we in terms of trying to negotiate a settlement? Was, you know, are we in a better position this weekend than we were last weekend? We are. We are. Really, we are. We've got those two points. Uh, and, and tomorrow there is a, a video conference uh, oh, yeah. chat online so, so that the talks continue. Now, in terms of the, the, the deployments, the, there's a bit of a misunderstanding there. The one Russian, uh, the deputy foreign, the deputy defense minister, after the Istanbul talks, very quickly, uh, he kind of overstated things and said, oh, we're going to withdraw some forces, a sign of good faith. That was then contradicted. And there's not much you hear about the, about the walk back. But the Russians walked this back. Or ahead of the negotiating uh, team for Russia said, no, 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 misstatement. Uh, the, the war continues. And basically what the Russians are doing is withdrawing some of their forces that have been badly mauled in the fighting. They are no longer operationally effective. They are being withdrawn back to Belarus for refurbishment. But the rest of them are all staying put, basically. They're digging in defensive positions around Kiev. But the majority, the bulk of Russian military effort now is in the south and in the Donbass. Because the, this area is key to Russian negotiating strategy in terms of what they will want. Another, another element they want is the Donbass to be recognized as an independent or self-declared republic, including the very vital land bridge in the south, Mariupol, that city that everyone's talking about that's under yeah, siege yeah. being badly bombed. That is the gateway for the Russians to have that land bridge secures Russia proper to Crimea. So that's where the military, uh, the Russian military is now being focused. So it actually links, it ties in with the negotiations. And the negotiations will continue as the war continues. 
The two will be, go on together. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Side by side almost. Um, yeah. Andrew, thank you deal. so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Always Anytime. appreciate the insight. Next time I'll try and be in this room and get you a better <laughs> contact. Okay. Fair enough. Thank, thank you. I appreciate your time, sir. Okay. Cheers. Bye. That's Andrew Rasoulis, who is a fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute, and he's sort of been a great resource for us in trying to understand exactly what the situation is here as we go along. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the whole situation around the guarantor, and I, I'm, I'm not sure exactly how it works, but Gamer Brian says a good point. He said, okay, however, if Canada is a guarantor of Ukrainian neutrality, if that means that Canada has to go to the defense of Ukraine, could not Canada invoke Article 5 in NATO and drag NATO into it because of that guarantor status? You would think so, okay? So just play that out, as Gamer Brian has. If you've got Canada legally bound to militarily defending Ukraine if their sovereignty is threatened. Now, Russia threatens Ukraine's sovereignty. Canada legally bound to defend Ukrainian sovereignty, so they get involved militarily. Now you've got Canada fighting with Russia. An attack on Canada means Article 5 is triggered. Now NATO is involved. So would there have to be legalities around that? Would there be a situation where the two sides... I don't know. I don't know. I mean, this is... This is all very high-level stuff that's taking place, but I, I have the same questions. It's sort of like, well, what, what's the difference, you know? I mean, if, if it's, you're not saying this is a treaty or an alliance because it's just a guarantee that will protect your sovereignty, well, okay, seems like a lot of wordplay, but hey, it, it, it's part of the negotiations, and uh, we'll see where it goes, and we will continue to, uh, to keep you up to speed on that.